Can you lift your hands to him right now? Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness, for your mercy and your kindness. We give you praise tonight, Lord. Thank you for your incredible blessings that you've given to us, forgiveness of our sins, healing for our bodies, peace for our souls, Lord. We're so grateful, so thankful. Some circles, old timers would testify and say, I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, and filled with the Holy Ghost. And I get it, right? I'm glad to be saved, sanctified, filled with the Holy Ghost. What a blessing God has given to us, right? To draw us in, to pull us in. It's incredible. It's great to see all of you here tonight on this Wednesday night. All this changing weather. Some of you getting better, getting healed up. Thank the Lord for that. It's great to see all of you here tonight. We're going to ask our ushers to get ready to receive our tithes and offerings. And I'm going to say a prayer over that. And the way that's going to work is they're going to come stand up here. And then we're going to have a little bit of a meet and greet at the end of my prayer. If you got something to put in the basket, come put it in. But go shake somebody's hand uh, during that time. Father, thank you so much for your blessings, for your kindness. I pray, God, that you would have your way in the rest of this service. Bless these wonderful people. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. God bless you. Once you go shake somebody's hand. and dismiss our Young Life small groups. My first announcement is that our Better Together Life Group sign-up begins this Sunday. This Sunday, we'll have different tables and booths set up advertising all of the different group options that we have available for you this semester. You do not want to miss sign-up. It is going to be an awesome, awesome semester with some great options for life groups. Uh, my second announcement is Young Life Parent Night is coming up. This is a parent and pastor meeting. Pastor Donovan will be heading this up along with our youth pastor, Brendan. And uh, it's going to be just an awesome um, 
an awesome uh, partnership for 2018 between the parents and the church, partnering with you and helping to ensure that what your kids are, are learning here in their Young Life small groups and at our Young Life youth services comes home with them and, and makes a stronger impact with, with our parent partnerships. So that will be Sunday, February 25th at 5.30 p.m. There will be refreshments. Uh, there will be coffee. I know that a lot of you parents are very much excited about the fact that there will be coffee there on a Sunday night. So put that on your calendars, parents. It's very important. You don't want to miss out. And uh, Young Life Small Groups, you can be dismissed. We will be pushing that partnership with our parents. tough time. It's a weird generation. There's a lot of stuff going on, and we want to partner with our, our parents to bring up our kids in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Every time we dedicate a child, we talk about that. We say that you're not alone in this task. You've got a church family with you as well as your other family, and so we want to bring that home even into our teenage years, so we're excited about that. I think it's going to be very beneficial, very helpful. We're in Journey Through Genesis Part 25. And we're in Genesis 28 tonight. How many are, are enjoying our week of fasting and prayer? That's a trick question. You're not enjoying that. I tell you what, though, the presence of God was so thick at our Monday night prayer meeting. It was powerful Monday night. There's just something about pulling back, saying no to the flesh. And I could talk about, I'm like obsessed with it right now, but it's not, it's not so much about being full. It's the whole process of eating. It's just a beautiful thing. I was telling Dan, me and Dan like to go to El Mascal. We're like the only people I know in the world. Okay, so there's some more of us. So we love El Mascal. And as we started talking about it, I said, Dan, you're starting to look like an enchilada to me. Like we need to stop talking about it right now. <laughs> Anyhow, though, so it's, uh, but I appreciate all of you who are, you know, involved with that and just giving it all you've got. We've got some more fasting coming up the rest of the month. So let me say a prayer and we'll jump right into this. Father, thank you so much for your goodness, for your word, for your kindness. I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts tonight, challenge us through this teaching, Father, through these scriptures, and we give it, give you praise for it in Jesus' name. Everybody say amen. So we're in... Genesis 28, we'll start with the first five verses. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Paddan Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your mother's father, and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger, which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Paddan Aram, to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, the mother of Jacob and Esau. So here we see that Isaac has resigned himself to the fact that Jacob was the one. 
that indeed the elder would serve the younger and the blessing would flow through Jacob. And he knew that would involve children, Jacob's children. Verse 3 says it, May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of peoples. I know Kelly and Wesley are back here having an assemblies of peoples, and there's a few others. And uh, I'm okay with Lizzie and Brendan having assemblies of peoples, and Caleb and Roe and, you know, assemblies of peoples. That's fine with me. So, <laughs> so this idea of children. So Jacob is commanded by his dad, and he obeys. He obeys his folks. It was not only Jacob. It was also Rebekah. And so he, uh, he obeys them, which is quite remarkable for Jacob. And it also indicates that Jacob really did care about the Abrahamic covenant. And that is so significant, it shouldn't be overlooked. It meant that he really did care about the plans and purposes of God. Jacob was a scoundrel. Jacob had all kinds of issues, but he was concerned about pushing the plans and purposes of God forward. And that was, that was very key to him. So Jacob went to the ancestral land of Abraham, where his uncle Laban lived, to find a wife. Which this means he was going to marry one of his cousins. And, you know, that's just the way the things happened back then. So he's going to find a wife. Now, by the way, once he left, sadly, Jacob would never see his mom and dad again. Now, this is the kind of covenant commitment that Jesus talked about, is it not? When he said that a man would, would love, except a man love me more than he loves his household. So here you have Jacob pushing forward the plans and purposes of God by going to another land, to his ancestral lands, to find a wife from these people. It's covenant love. It's covenant commitment that Jacob is displaying here. It's interesting to note back in Genesis 26 that his brother, his twin, Esau, married two Canaanite women, Judith and Basimath. And that caused his parents a lot of grief. They were heartbroken because of this decision. Remember, Esau was all about the here and now, the convenient. He was all about instant gratification. He always had someone on his shoulder. He always had a girl, even if it was the wrong one. The book of Hebrews calls Esau a profane man, a fornicator. He was never even trying to put the plans and purposes of God first. He was all about putting himself first. He always did whatever he felt like doing. That's the way he rolled. That's the way his life was. However, Esau, this is interesting, had daddy issues. Everybody say daddy issues. He already knew Isaac did not like him being married to these Canaanite women. And then when he saw that his dad was happy, and sent Jacob off with a blessing to go find a wife from amongst the family of Abraham. Notice what Esau did, verses 6 through 10. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that 
As he blessed him, he gave him a charge, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And that Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Also Esau saw that the daughters of Canaan did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebojoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he already had. So he goes to Ishmael, who was the child of Abraham and Hagar, the Egyptian. Ishmael was representative of Abraham's greatest failure. And that is where Esau goes. Esau was kind of an out-of-the-frying-pan, into-the-fire kind of guy. That's how he rolled. His disregard for the things of God caused him to make very unwise decisions. The things of God are things regarding the plans and purposes of God, covenant things. Esau chose to disregard the things of God, these covenant things, these plans and purposes of God kind of things. And he chose to live a life outside of that covenant lifestyle in a very unwise way. Wisdom is found in the Scriptures. Wisdom is, is found in the Word. 2 Timothy 3.15, the Scriptures are able to make one wise. Psalm 19.7 says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Do you know when you study the Word, when you read the Bible, when you get into it, the Bible makes you smarter. I've seen simple people become very smart when it came to the things of God because they had a relationship with the Word. They didn't have degrees, they didn't have an education, but they had an education from the Bible. I've known people that could barely read or write, but they spent their efforts in trying to read the Word, and they became very smart people, blessed people. Wisdom came from the Word. The Word said that the Word makes wise the simple. Ecclesiastes 7.19 says, Wisdom, listen to this, strengthens the wise more than ten rulers of the city. In other words, wisdom is more powerful than brute strength. If I had to make a choice between being wise or just having brute strength, I want wisdom because wisdom can get me more. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that the wise man is the one who hears the words of the covenant and does them, puts them into practice. Not only is a hearer of the word, but is a doer of the word. Jesus said that man's house is more powerful than any storm that comes his way because that house is built on wisdom, in wisdom. Esau was unwise because he did not heed the words of the covenant. He lived a shallow life. He lived a carnal life. He lived a selfish life, a meaningless life, when it all could have been filled with purpose and power, but he chose to live that unwise life. Here's the bottom line. The challenge for us 
live a deep life. Live a life that's filled with purpose and power. Seek to please our Heavenly Father, the covenant-making, covenant-keeping God of Abraham. The residual of that is this. He will bless you. He will empower you. He will strengthen you. He'll provide for your every need. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What's the idea? Put the plans and purposes of God first, and God will see to it that you have everything you need. Amen? And then look at verses 10 through 19. Are y'all cold? Some of you shivering and y'all, whatever, whatever we need to do. Uh, yeah, there you go. I'm fine in Bambi. The colder, the better. Whew. Now, Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And this is very, very important. This is critical in story. So he came to a certain place and stayed there all night because the sun had set. He took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head. He lay down at that place to sleep. Then he dreamed, and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth, and its top reached to heaven. And there, there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. And in you and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. Then Jacob rose early in the morning and took the stone that he had put at his head, set it up as a pillar, and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, or Bethel. But the name of that city had been Luz previously. So Jacob's on this journey. He decides to call it a night. He hasn't ordered a my pillow from Mike, Mike Lindell. On, you know, and so he has to get a rock for a pillow and he falls asleep and he has this weird dream. Now, it's really a vision. I guess if you use a rock as a pillow, that's setting yourself up to have weird dreams. But he has this dream, but it's really it's a vision from the Lord. This this dream, it's a it's a night vision, you could call it. He saw a heaven opened. And uh, a ladder, Jacob's ladder. It's really a stairway. It's the stairway to heaven, so to speak. It's between heaven and earth, though. And, and angels are ascending and descending. There's traffic on this stairway. And God is at the top of the stairway. And from the top of the stairway, the Lord confirms the Abrahamic covenant to Jacob. You'll, you are in this. It's not just Abraham. It's not just Isaac. I have brought you into this covenant. And, and it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's an affirming thing. Jacob is skeezed to get where he is. 
Do you know what skeezed means? He schemed to get where he is. He's lied. He's deceived to get where he is. But he had a heart after the right things. He just went about it the wrong way. His brother had every right to, to have access to the things that Jacob wanted, the good stuff. But he didn't want it. And so the Lord allowed Jacob to come into the covenant. And when Jacob awoke and realized what had just transpired, he said, this is an awesome place, a place filled with awe and wonder. This is none other than the house of God. That's what Bethel means, Bethel, the house of God. And he said, it's the place of the gate of heaven or the stairway to heaven. It's interesting to me that the first time the term house of God is mentioned in the Bible, it is linked to an open heaven where there's access from heaven to earth and earth to heaven. House of God speaks of the place where God dwells. It's where He lives. It's where He abides. It's where His presence is. The tabernacle that we're going to see later is called a house of God. It's where the presence of God manifests. The temple that we'll see even later is the house of God, where God's presence is manifest. But 500 years before the tabernacle and 700 years before the temple, on a lonely hillside in the middle of nowhere, there was a Bethel. There was a house of God, the house where God would dwell. Let me say this. We can call this house a house of God, and I've talked about that, you know, the building being the house of God. And when you don't have a building, you tell people you don't have to have a building to have a church. But then when you finally do get a building, you call it the church. You know what I'm saying? Like, I get that conundrum. I get that catch-22. But we can call this church house, this building, a house of God. But I want to assure you, if God doesn't meet us here, this is not the house of God. The most important thing is that God meets us here. We've met in a number of places. We've met in restaurants. We, we've met in houses. We've met in garages. Back in Maryland, we met in the Knights of Columbus. And our altar, our communion table was a bingo machine that was huge. We've met in parish halls. We've met in rented facilities. We met in all kinds of places. But when the presence of God moved in and met us in that place, no matter what it was in regular times, that was the house of God. I was in Jersey City, New Jersey one time. We met in a Boys and Girls Club of America in Jersey City, right on the Hudson River. And the presence of God filled that house. That became a house of God, a house of the living God. I remember one time in Jersey City, once again, we had church in, in a, 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 a church plant that was meeting in a bar, in a bar. I'm talking about, there it is right there, like all your poisons, and all right there. But the presence of God moved in that house. That bar became a house of the living God. I remember, I remember uh, having church in the subway at the 42nd Street Port Authority, uh, playing guitar, singing songs, and the presence of God swept in that subway at that station, at that subway stop, 
at 42nd Street Port Authority. And, and that became, that day, a house of the living God because God was dwelling in that house. Now, I will tell you this. I probably shouldn't. But now, Wayne, I want to because Valerie told me I shouldn't. The, the thing is, we were doing that, that we played music in the subway. We had little battery-powered amps, Jeff and djembes or cajones or something. We're like playing these instruments and singing. And really the power of God moved in that place, New York City. Y'all just got, welcome back. It's good to see the newlyweds here back from, from New York City. Yeah. It's great also to have Nick in the house. I think he went out with Young Life, but it's great to have Nick back. Uh, thank God for his hand of protection on Nick. But we were doing that, that uh, service in the subway and... Uh, and this, this guy came up. He looked like he might have been homeless. He comes up. And so I'm playing guitar and singing. And I'm, you know, like uh, singing, uh, you know, uh, what would I have sung back then? Uh, light of the world. So, you know, here I am to worship. Man, we're just like praising the Lord. You know, he inhabits the praises of his people. And this guy comes up and he starts dancing, okay, in front of me. But he's dancing like. It ain't worship dance. And then he starts blowing me kisses. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, this is, you have a street service, you, you know, anything can happen. And so the pastor went to him, and I don't know what he, I, I didn't know at the time what he did, but the guy, he talked to him, and the guy left. Well, what I found out later was he gave the guy like 10 bucks, and so I give you $10 to leave. So the guy left. About 15 minutes later, there was about 10 other guys that came with him and started dancing, right? <laughs> so it became, it became a money-making scheme. But in spite of the persecution we received, the presence of God filled that house, that subway station there. It was just amazing. So wherever you are, wherever the presence of God is, that is the house of God. Psalm 51, 17 says, he is near to those with a broken and contrite spirit. Those who humble themselves. We looked at that Sunday. He resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. He invades that space where somebody opens their heart. Jesus said in John 4, 23, he's near to those who worship him in spirit and in truth. The house of God can be right here, right now. The house of God could be in your house, in your car, driving down the road. When you open your heart up to Him. In a very real sense, though, we could say this, and this is theologically sound. Jesus is the Bethel, the house of God. John 1.14 says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means tabernacled. House of God among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In John 2.19, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. In verse 21, John adds, but the temple he spoke of was his body. So he wasn't talking about the temple in Jerusalem, per se, that the Jews would go in and worship. He spoke of the temple, the Bethel, which was his body. Jesus was the house of God, the express image of the Father, full of grace and truth. And that gate of heaven 
I have a quote here. Jake Kale points out the word gate speaks of an access point. In other words, the gate of heaven refers to heaven's entrance point into the earth. Jesus also spoke of the phrase, the gates of hell. Remember that? The gates of hell, which speaks of hell's access points into the earth and into individual lives. Jesus made a clear connection with this concept as well. In John 1.51, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. This is a direct reference to Jacob's ladder in Genesis 28. Jesus was saying, remember that dream old Jacob had? I'm the fulfillment of that dream. The angels ascend and descend upon me. I am the house of God, the gate of heaven. Heaven enters into the earth through me. Jesus came into this earth as the house of God and the gate of heaven. And here's the deal. The beginning and ending of all the plans and purposes of God are in Christ. He is the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Christ was in the beginning. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Christ is the end of the law. So by Jacob, here's my point, by Jacob putting the plans and purposes of God first, he was really putting Jesus first. He didn't know Jesus at the time. He didn't know the ultimate fulfillment of this Abrahamic covenant. He didn't see you and me. But just by putting the plans and purposes first in his life of God that he knew of, he was putting Jesus first. You see that? He was putting, he was putting Jesus first. And the idea is this. There was an open heaven, and there was the presence of God, and there were the mighty angels of the Lord that were assisting him and working with him. So my question is this. If he had divine supernatural blessing and favor and help by putting the things of the covenant first with the little bit that he did know, should not we expect the blessing, divine favor, the power of God to be available to us as we put the things of God first now, knowing so much more than Jacob knew back then, right? We put the plans and purposes of God first. We should expect blessing. We should expect His hand and His power and His favor. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, 19, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. The church is the body of Christ. The, the house of God, the gate of heaven, the people of God, we should walk as entrance points of heaven into earth. I, I seriously believe we undervalue who we are and what we do in this earth. We live as mere men and women as though we don't have a covenant relationship with God and as though the power of God is somehow cut off from us and we live under a closed heaven. When the opposite is actually true, we are covenanted. 
we are brought into this new covenant. And His Spirit dwells in us. And wherever we go, that heaven is open. We're an access point. People should come to you and say, I wish you would pray with me about this. I wish you would ask, I wish you would, uh, ask your church to pray with me about this situation. Because I believe things happen. If we would let people know, listen, we serve a God who is able. Do you hear what I'm saying? But so often we're chicken, right? We back off. And we're like, well, I don't know, you know, I'm not sure. Instead, we should step out in faith and say, I, I, I don't have all the answers, but I do know this. I serve the one who does, and he's powerful. He's good. He loves us with an everlasting love, and prayer works. Why don't you let me pray for you? Why don't you let me have my church pray for you? Do you see that? And it's not just, it's not just pastor chance. It's not like, I'm going to have pastor pray for you. Chance, you can pray for people. Because you're a child of the living God. And as we put the plans and purposes first, we're going to see it in a bit. Jacob prayed things into existence like, as we'll see as he gets into dealing with his uncle Laban, with cows and sheep and animals, there's issues and he prays and things change as a result of his prayers. It's very powerful. Under a lesser covenant, and here we are, we call ourselves Christian. That When the seed of Abraham wasn't Jacob, it wasn't Isaac even. The seed of Abraham was Christ, and we are in Christ. New creations, the power of God should flow. We, we should be conduits. We, the power of God should flow through us into a dark and broken world. To me, that makes Christianity so much more exciting. I'm just going to be honest with you, right? If, if we can pray and things happen, man, I like that. In other words, it's not a dead, cerebral relationship. I get worried about people. Oh, uh, this is going to be controversial. I don't know if I can say this the right way. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. But I think I get worried about people when they become hung up on the cerebral side of doctrine. Now listen, I'm not downplaying doctrine. I'm not downplaying scriptural study. I love that. I feast on that. I adore that. That's something that is, I, I love. I love the study of scripture. But if in the end it doesn't result in a living, vibrant relationship, and I'm just a professor of Bible studies, what good is it doing me? But if I am flowing in an anointing and a relationship, heavens open. I think that's what Jacob was realizing. Wow, the heavens have opened. This is an awesome place. God is going to use me. God, will you? what a powerful difference that made in his life and what a powerful difference that makes in our lives. When we have the correct teaching, the correct doctrine, if you will, and then we have that living relationship going with it. The old timers used to say when you have, when you have the written word combined with the living word. I remember old timers telling me that. You've got to have the written word and the living word. It's that idea of Jesus is alive. It's not that just that he, the word was made flesh and he dwelled among us. It's that, and he dwells in me. You know what I mean? 
it's relationship. And there's such a strength that comes from that kind of revelation. The church is the body of Christ. When you're on your job, do people see a bit of heaven or do they see a bit of hell? We shouldn't be, well, let me just put it this way. We should be heaven raisers, raising heaven everywhere we go. And why not? We've been bought with a price. I think one of the old timers that I speak of was a guy named Tom Barnes, T.W. Barnes. He was a voice in my life for many years, lived not too far down the road from us. And uh, every ministry move I ever made, I would go sit down and talk to Brother Barnes. Brother Barnes, this is what I'm thinking. And he'd sit in his drab office and kick his wooden rocker way back and he start and when he talked he would throw his fingers out like this boy here's what I think and he would just give me his two cents his opinion and he told me one time he said uh, he said your life is like a well and he said if that well is is unclogged it just flows but if a natural well or a spring out in the woods gets covered up with debris and leaves and and, and junk, then it, it's restricted. And he said, boy, I was talking to him about traveling and preaching at one. He said, boy, if you'll just keep your life uncluttered, keep the flow open, you'll never lack for a place to preach. Just keep it un uncluttered. The Lord will send you where you need to be. And I think that's just so much like us. If we'll just keep our, and that's why we have a month of prayer and fasting. If we keep our lives uncluttered, then the flow is there. You have rivers of living water flowing through you, and so do I. People say, well, I don't feel like I have rivers of living water. It doesn't matter how you feel. It's a new covenant reality, brothers and sisters. Your feelings got nothing to do with it. Do you believe it or not? Feelings are fickle. They come and go. I've prayed for people who felt nothing, and God raised them up. I've also prayed for people who felt a lot, and nothing happened. You can't go by your feelings. You've got to go by faith and walk in it and just trust God for the results. Just keep your life uncluttered. Keep, just keep an open mind. Father, here I am. What opportunities are you going to bring my way today? I remember as a kid, I'm rambling. I'm off my notes. That's always dangerous. I say, say, man, stop saying that. So I, I remember uh, as, a, as a teenager. Now, y'all know I lost my way, and, and God brought me back. But before I lost my way, uh, you know, I remember as a teenager, I remember having opportunities come my way where people were hungry, and, and there was something about me that was different. I was not jaded. I was sincere. I believed the truth. And, and man, like God would, and people would, adults, grown-ups. I was a kid. I went, Donovan, what do you think about this? Would you pray with me about this? And, man, I'd be all freaked out. And I'm like, yeah, but I, was, I took it dead serious. And I was like, you know, in the name of Jesus. Or I'd open my Bible. I said, well, the Bible says this. And I was trying to find verses and stuff for them. And, and God touched people's lives that to this day are touched by the, not because it was me. I was just a kid. But there was so much power flowing through a kid 
that was sincere and honest that the Lord used that. As adults, we think, you know, like, I'm jaded, and I've seen this happen, I this happen, and I don't know. Man, if we just have the mind of a child and let the Lord use us, I'm telling you, God can use you to do amazing things. If, Dave, if God used a David to kill a Goliath, if God used a Daniel in Babylonian captivity, if God used a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he can use you and he can use me. If he used an educated court preacher like Isaiah, he can use you. If he used an old country bumpkin like famous Amos, he can use you as well. God can use us in this new and glorious covenant to get his plans and purposes pushed forward. And therein lies the key, staying focused on the Lord Jesus. I'm here for you, Jesus. I want to do your will, not my will, but yours be done. Opportunities will present themselves. I unclutter myself from my own ambitions, from myself, from my carnality. I unshackle myself from my old man. I'm committed to you as this new creation in Christ Jesus. You watch what God does, and you watch the opportunities that God brings you. You'll never lack for a place to minister. Amen? Never. Never lack for a place to minister. And ministry is not necessarily behind a pulpit. Access to earth through you. That's what the Lord wants. And the world needs access to heaven through you. Now, look with me to verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me and keep me in this way that I am going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God and this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. Now, this was a huge step in Jacob's journey, but he's not done. Chapter 29, verse 1. So Jacob went on his journey. He continued, came to the land of the people of the east, looked and saw a well in the field, and behold, there were three flocks of sheep lying by it. For out of that well they watered the flocks. A large stone was on the well's mouth. Now all the flocks would be gathered there. And they would roll the stone from the well's mouth, water the sheep, and put the stone back in its place on the well's mouth. And Jacob said to them, My brethren, where are you from? They said, We're from Haran. Then he said to them, Do you know Laban, the son of Naor? And they said, We know him. So he said to them, Is he well? They said, He is well. And look, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. Then he said, Look, it is still high day. It is not time for the cattle to be gathered together. Water the sheep and go and feed them. Now listen, there were no street signs, so when he got to this place, he didn't know he was at the right place. No maps. He had to ask these guys, is this the right place? Do you know Laban? And sure enough, he was in the right place. But then he saw Rachel, and I think it's hilarious. He sees Rachel, the daughter of Laban, Laban coming his way, and he says, in his heart, at least from the rest of the story, he says, wow. And so he looks to the guys and he said, hey, don't y'all got something to do? Why don't y'all go water your sheep or something? What he's saying is, I want to talk to the lady alone. And look at verse 8. But they said, we cannot until all the flocks are gathered together and they have rolled the stone from the well's mouth. 
Then we water the sheep. Now, while he was still speaking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. And it came to pass when Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban, his mother's brother, that Jacob went near. Listen, this is so much like a guy, isn't it? He went over and rolled the stone from the well's mouth and watered the flock of Laban, his mother's brother. So he's a typical guy. He probably, you know, took off his tunic, kind of showed his guns. Hey, guys, I've got this. And no matter how hard it was, Nick, he went over and he went, I'm going to get, I'm going to move this stone. I'm going to impress this girl. And he moves the stone. Then verse 11, then he kissed Rachel. Now that's moving pretty quick, wouldn't you say? Then he kissed Rachel, but then he lifted up his voice and wept. He's an emotional wreck, right? And Jacob told Rachel that, he was her father's relative and that he was Rebecca's son. So she ran and told her father. Now here's the reason he wept. It reminds me of Eliezer some 50 or 60 years earlier when he was on a mission to find a wife for Isaac. He did the same thing in that he wept. He knew at this point, Jacob knew God had ordered his steps. He had found the right place. He had found the right people, and he knew that he had found the right girl. And then it came to pass, look at this, verse 13. When Laban heard the report about Jacob, his sister's son, that he ran to meet him and embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his house. So he told Laban all these things, and Laban said to him, Surely you are my bone and my flesh. And he stayed with him for a month. Now, Jacob, as you'll remember, his name meant supplanter. He was a liar and a cheat. But in Laban, he met his match. When Jacob showed up, Laban started licking his chops and rubbing his hands together. He saw opportunity with this old boy who was in love with his daughter. It's kind of like when Wiley Coyote looked at the roadrunner as cooked bird. Like I looked at Dan as an enchilada tonight, you know. Oh, Laban was looking at Jacob as, I think I can make some money on this old boy. I'm going to take advantage of him. And verse 15 through 20, verses 15 through 20, he does. And here's the deal. I won't read it. He said, the dowry for my daughter that you are so madly in love with is seven years labor. Now, Jacob actually was the goofball that threw that number out. But Laban agreed to it. Sounds good to me. Seven years labor, I'm going to work you. The Bible says that those seven years just seemed like a day to old Jacob. He was that crazy in love, you know. That, that's how it was with me and Valerie. Valerie was so in love with me that all that time we waited, it just seemed like a, a few days to her. And, of course, I was in love with her, and it seemed like just such a short period of time as well. But he was so in love that he worked seven years for old Laban to get Rachel. Man, that's some commitment right there. Jacob came from a house of wealth. He had servants working for him. Now he is a servant, but he wanted the girl. And so he's willing to work. So for seven long years, he works 
for Rachel. And then Laban pats him on the back, congratulations, you did it. You finished those seven years. What an awesome job you've done. It's wedding time. Now we're going to get this wedding together. It's going to be an awesome thing. And as the customs went, they had this big celebration. Uh, uh, the, the, the wife is veiled. They party, and then they go on their honeymoon. Well, when the daylight hits and the veil is removed, Jacob realizes it's not Rachel. It's Leah. The name Leah literally means cow eyes. Now, I don't know what that means. I think cows have beautiful eyes, but it doesn't seem like a compliment. And so he wakes up to Leah, Rachel's sister, her older sister. He freaks out. You're not who I was supposed to marry. He goes to Laban, Laban, what have you done? He's like, oh, I, I mean, you've been here long and I thought you knew. Like, we marry off the older girl first. She's my oldest girl. Jacob deceived his father by switching the younger for the older. Laban deceives Jacob by switching the older for the younger. No wonder he was licking his chops. He's like, I'm going to get rid of both girls. And watch this. He says, but you can have Rachel for another seven years of labor. Hey, he met his match in Laban, okay? And you know what he says? Done. Okay. So he works another seven years just to get Rachel. So now Jacob has two wives. It's cost him 14 years of his life. Now what we're going to go through in our next session is it, it it's just like that. But it's 14 plus years. Leah starts having kids, four of them. Their names are significant. They mean something. Stand with me right now. Their names are significant. They mean something. But it's 14, 15, 16, 20 years of Jacob's life. And it seems like, you know, it's just, he's just living life. But he has these first four kids with Leah. And eventually, Rachel has some kids. The idea is this, those kids become the children of Israel. Jacob's name is going to be changed to Israel, and these kids become, and see, it looks like so much chance, but it's really the hand of God and the providence of God. I think I need to walk this way, shows up to a well. Is this the right place? Yeah, you're at the right place. Who's this coming up? That's Rachel. I'll go, I'll move this stone. Mm, I got it. Mm. Tricked, marries, works, marries, kids, having kids with the wife he didn't love. Well, that fourth kid's name is Judah. Oh, praise the Lord. And Christ is the lion from the tribe of 
Judah. When you put the plans and purposes of God first, it may look just like I'm just living my life. I'm just working my job. I'm just, you know, paying my bills. I'm just, but when you put the plans and purposes of God, God has a way of working all things together for the good of those who love him, who are the called according to his purpose. He has a way of getting you where you need to be, redeeming your mistakes, taking those who tried to take advantage of you and turning it and bringing you out on top somehow, some way. He knows how to do that. Those setbacks turn out to just be setups for the next phase. Amen? When you put Him first. And how can that be? Because we serve a powerful God. He's the one at the top of that ladder saying, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The holy, mighty, righteous angels that I send are on assignment to accomplish my will and to see to it that you are taken care of and my plans are fulfilled in your life. Amen. Can you lift your hands to that God right now? Thank you, Jesus, for your blessing. Thank you, God, for your provision. Thank you for your love, for the care that you take over us. Hallelujah. Listen, God said, Esau I hated, but Jacob have I loved. That scoundrel, lion, cheat. But he had a heart deep down in there for the stuff that I love. And I loved him. Hallelujah. You ain't got to be perfect. You just got to seek him with your heart. Somebody needs to hear that tonight. Come on, just lift your hands and receive that. I receive that tonight, Lord. 